You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pick pluck, uh, pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're expecting a sermon on the Sabbath, on observing the Sabbath, on the do's and don'ts of the Sabbath, you would be Uh, disappointed with this message this morning because Matthew is again, as we return to the gospel, coming back to the same theme, identifying the promised king. As we've seen throughout our series, questions keep getting raised to Jesus of his true identity and of his motives. And here in this passage, it speaks to the Sabbath, but it has greater, deeper meaning and broader implications. Here, Matthew gives an example of how Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, which was our passage last week. Sabbath is a day of rest prescribed in the Old Testament. But Jesus here is being opposed by the religious elite, the Pharisees, who were imposing extra-biblical, extra-rules of observing the fourth commandment. Over the centuries, through oral tradition and through uh, traditions that, that were passed on and habits that were passed on, these rules and habits were added and they became new laws that the people had to obey, fencing around God's word, Torah, the word through Moses, adding do's and don'ts and traditions to guarantee that the people wouldn't break the Sabbath laws. And in so speaking to this particular theme, Jesus is living out an example of what it means to have this heavy burden, this weariness of the people, because there are added laws of man's religion that he came to expose and remove. For the purpose of the Sabbath, where Jesus is returning his disciples, the people of Israel, and his listeners now back to is the purpose of the Sabbath, which is worship, recovery, restoration according to the rhythm of God that we see in creation. Six days of work and one day of rest. This day was set apart for God, apart from all the other days, but it was meant for our good, not to be a burden. So here Jesus is confronting these extra burdens added by the Pharisees, 
they're literally taking food away from people in need. And Jesus will have none of it. In their zeal to obey the letter of the law, the Pharisees have not kept the spirit of the law, which is to supersede any extra ceremonial regulations when the two are in conflict. And so we see people here in need, they're hungry, and their needs, Jesus said, need to be met before we worry about these traditions. So Jesus and his band of brothers, they're traipsing along through the fields and they start picking uh, grain on the edge of the field, which was allowed but not on the Sabbath, and they began to eat the breakfast of champions. Jonathan and I were talking about this, eating raw grain or barley. I'm not sure if, if we would really go for that these days, but you never know. It's probably at Whole Foods down the street. And the religious lawmakers see this, and they say, Jesus, look at what your disciples are doing. They're doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. They're doing what's forbidden on Saturdays. What are you going to do about it? Once again, an example of the religious elite trying to capture Jesus, trying to trap him, ensnare him in a debate about religion. In their minds, they were helping God by adding clarifications to what constitutes work. And really, any form of work that they could think of was added to these laws. Think about our own, uh, the old blue laws that would keep stores shut down. Same concept here. Naturally, the Sabbath is a good idea, a genius idea, because it came from our very creator that we need a day of rest. But these, observa- these observances by the Pharisees became a great burden on the people, scared to death to step outside the lines and not be allowed to worship at the temple. We know that with Christ's advent, the ceremonial law and the civil law of Israel no longer is enforced because the ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ and the civil law only applied to Israel's theocracy. And so what remains? The moral law, the eternal moral law of Christ and all of his teachings in the New Testament. And so earlier we have in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you, He's not replacing, he's fulfilling, he's expanding on that law that we would understand his moral, perfect, eternal law in the covenant of grace. So Jesus is not here going to overturn Sabbath observance. He's going to overturn and tear apart these extra rules that have been added by men to control other people. Let's look carefully at Jesus' response. Look at what he says here. Look at the use of Scripture and how he ups the ante with each illustration he gives. The Pharisees expected Jesus to correct his disciples. Oh, sorry, forgive me. I'm sorry. Guys, spit that out. We shouldn't be doing this. Let's, let's go back. He doesn't do that. He defends what they're doing, pointing to the Hebrew Scriptures. First, he turns their attention to 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 6. He says, haven't you read what David did when he was hungry and those with him. This is a scene of David, King David, who had been anointed as king by Samuel, but he's not yet on the throne. Who's on the throne of Israel? Saul. Saul's very, very upset with David. He's trying to hunt him down and kill him. The anointed king, who's not yet on the throne, he's being chased throughout the countryside. And David's on the run, and Saul is trying to chase him down, 
And it says in 1 Samuel 21, when David and his men arrived at the house of God in Shiloh, remember this is before the temple in Jerusalem has been built, they were given special holy bread, the, the holy bread of presence, forbidden for anyone but the priests to consume. And yet they ate with the priests allowing them to do so because the men were so hungry being chased by Saul. And in this way, human need was put before the stipulations of the law. Jesus says to the Pharisees, have you not read our scriptures? People come first, Jesus says. Then in verse 5, Jesus pulls a second illustration that's more directly related to work and the Sabbath. He talks about the priests in the temple. He says, yes, we're not to work, but what about the priests in the temple? What about when Steve showed up early this morning or Andy came earlier, Jamie or Lynn and all of her ushers who are working on Sabbath? He points to the work of the priests. Are they sinning? No, he says, they're guiltless. Now these two illustrations would have been enough. He's made his point, but then he says something utterly shocking. Verse 6, I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. So let's go back. The first, that that note about David, King David. On a deeper level, the the use of the story about King David and his pals and this mention of priestly duties explains what Jesus and his disciples are doing. It explains why the Pharisees become incredibly angry towards Jesus, and then this mention about something greater than the temple leads to them plotting to kill Jesus in verse 14, which we'll look at next week. First, Jesus is saying he is the true promised king. Like David, who had been anointed but was yet not yet on the throne, Jesus is saying, I am the promised king. Anointed at my baptism, yet to be enthroned on the cross. Second, he's saying, his followers are like the priests in the temple. They are about the work of my kingdom. But the third and most shocking statement that he makes, the most important statement that he makes that leads to their plotting against him, is related to the temple itself. He's defending his disciples. He's saying it's okay for them to eat. It's okay for us to meet human needs before these regulations. But beyond that, the shocking bombshell is Jesus is saying, I matter more than Solomon's temple and all that goes with it. This is the turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. Speaking of such things leads to their plotting to kill him. John 1, 14, the word became flesh. God became incarnate and made his dwelling among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us. God became a human and he made his tabernacle greater than any facade or temple built by human hands. And John says, we've seen his glory, glory, of the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Jesus is saying, I am he. I am the promised king. These are my priests. I am greater than the temple that you worship at. And then to cap it off, Hosea 6.6, already quoted by Matthew in chapter 9, verse 13, when Jesus defends yet again why is he spending time with tax collectors and sinners, he says, have you not heard that I desire mercy, not sacrifice? The point is these stingy laws of following must give way to the priority of the good news of the kingdom, which, is to aim, which is aims to, to meet human need, especially for people who are laboring for the Lord. So Jesus says, my disciples are innocent. They are like David's men. They are like the priests of the temple. And all this begs the question, who do you think you are, Jesus, to say such things, such blasphemous things to say that you are like a king, that you are like a high priest, that you are greater than our temple? Look at verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying he has a sovereign authority to decide what loyalty to the Sabbath means. Do you see how this points to the the larger themes of Matthew that we've been looking at. Yes, it speaks to the issue of Sabbath. On one level, it's about putting human needs before human regulations, and we could just leave it there, but he goes deeper or higher by pointing to himself as the promised king, as a greater prophet, as a greater priest, and truly, definitively, greater than the temple built by men. The Pharisees wanted to tear Jesus down to see if they could get uh, him to justify his actions, but they get more than they bargained for. Jesus' talk of being a king and a priest and the temple were extraordinary claims. And so when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, where we will be in a few weeks' time at Palm Sunday, these claims, his royal claim, his attitude about the temple or what get him arrested, tried, and executed. Matthew wants us to see the shadow of the cross already falling over the story. Christians have always found ways to add our own ideas, our own habits, our own norms that become law to the moral law of Christ. Haven't we? We know how to add rules unspoken expectations on one another. And often these ideas, they start with the right intention, but they turn into norms and norms turn into rules and, and rules turn into ways of excluding another person. Of how one dresses on Sunday. It's a good idea and tradition to dress nicely. But if that becomes an unspoken rule not found in Scripture, used to size someone up, and to exclude, Jesus says, I'll have none of it. This is a quote from my Gospel Transformation Bible. Whenever the tendency of these rules hinders the basic concerns of Scripture, mercy, justice, and kindness, the rules have themselves become a hindrance to obeying God and need to be set aside. 
On the other hand, Christians in our culture all too often do not observe any Sabbath whatsoever. Our freedom in Christ becomes license to do whatever we want every day of the week. And so Sunday, the first day of the week, a day set aside for worship becomes a day for sports. Well, that's just the way it is. She's on a travel team. A day for football, for shopping, for video games. No different than any other day of the week. I won't stand here to to try to give the do's and don'ts, but we need to consider the days that God has given us and the rhythm that he's set before us. The Lord of the Sabbath offers true and lasting rest. He offers you mercy and justice. He offers you peace and joy. He offers you his grace. You come so stressed out, and he's saying, meet this rhythm that I've given to you as a gift. That you can say on this day and every day, this is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Not we will be stressed and worn out. What a contrast. The Pharisees are criticizing and challenging the Lord Jesus and eventually plotting to kill him. It's obviously a terrible religious state to be in, to have such hatred and judgment and rage. And that attitude nullifies any devotion or ritual that they may have made. Christ the King spoke truth through his prophet Hosea. God desires mercy over sacrifice. We are to be people that are very busy very, very busy on the Sabbath day. Not busy bodies, but very busy. Busy practicing mercy. Busy serving the Lord. Busy loving one another. Not criticizing and not judging, not putting all our expectations on others. If we're busy in this way, the church would be a much better place. So two questions to leave with you. The first is this. When have you fallen into the trap of offering sacrifice but neglecting mercy? When have you fallen into the trap of offering sacrifice? I think of the sacrifice of those who will come and be elected as our new leaders. And those that will stay to help undecorate the entire church. They'll be working hard. But when have you fallen in a trap of, of making that the measure of your spiritual growth, <laughs> offering sacrifice, yet neglecting mercy, care, love of one another? And second, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and will stand and say, Hallelujah, Amen, how do you observe the Sabbath rest? And how is he also Lord over your Monday through Saturday, over every day of the week, over your checkbook, over kingdoms and nations, over me and over my heart, over all of us? With that in mind, let's prepare to come to the table. All are invited to this table. We confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Wherever you come from, whatever your background, 
whatever the measure of your faith, even a itty-bitty, tiny little amount of faith, enough to say, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. He says, come and receive. Let's join the great thanksgiving. The Lord